and welcome to the Creative Soul Podcast. I'm your host, Leah Van Doren, and in this podcast, I talk with some of the most creative and inspiring people that I know. From hearing about their process to what holds them back from creating, routines and rituals, to the intersection between creativity and spirituality, you'll hear from writers, actors, singers, dancers, musicians, painters, multi-passionate creatives, and anyone else who considers themselves a creative soul. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Creative Soul Podcast. Honored to have you here and so honored to have my guest on the show today. My guest is someone whom I've admired and respected her work for a very long time. So I'm just super excited to have her on the podcast today. And that person is Lucy H. Pierce. Lucy is the author of 10 life-changing nonfiction books, including Medicine Woman, Burning Woman, and Creatrix, She Who Makes. Her writing focuses on women's healing through archetypal psychology, embodiment, historical awareness, and creativity. Her latest book, She of the Sea, launches this July, and she also founded a company that publishes paradigm-shifting books by women for women in 2014 called Woman Craft Publishing. She is also the mother of three children and lives in a small village by the Celtic Sea in East Cork, Ireland. I read Lucy's Creatrix book um, maybe about a year ago, and it's something that really stuck with me because she answered, I just felt so seen by her book, by being a woman who creates. It's all about women who create and just answered so many of my questions about resistance, about dread, about procrastination, about how to make time for writing, about the creative flow and creative process. And so Really everything that I wanted to know about creativity is definitely in that book. And in this episode, we talk about all different kinds of things. We talk a little bit about her background growing up in a neurodivergent creative family, her experience with self-publishing and how she tried traditional publishing and, you know, ultimately went the route of self-publishing, how she started her own publishing company, Womancraft Publishing, her creative process and what it's like having written and published 10 books and working on many more in the process and what her creative process looks like in writing those books. And we talk about a term called creative bathing, which she brought up and I just love so much. Uh, So you'll hear a little bit more about that. And then we go into some of the inner and the outer skills required for an artist and what those are and how to identify them. And then we talk about her new book, She of the Sea, which, like I said, launches this July. And I'm definitely going to order it. It's right up my alley. It's all about women and mermaids and why we're drawn to the ocean. She is someone who, in my mind, is really a trailblazer for women who create and really embodying what it means to be a mother who creates and to really incorporate creativity into all aspects of your life and really fit it in and and do it as an entrepreneur and as a mother and as a writer. So please enjoy this episode with Lucy H. Pierce. Hello, Lucy. Thanks so much for coming on the Creative Soul podcast. Lovely to be with you. I'm so excited. I've loved your work for so long. So it's really just an honor to get to talk to you today. But the first question that I ask everyone when they come on is, What is currently fueling your creative soul? Well, I guess the answer must be birdsong because we had a we had a little half an hour between when we were supposed to talk and us now. And so I was like, oh, what am I going to do? And I've got somebody else's book that I'm editing at the moment. So I was like, I I could get into that. And I was like, do you know what? I can hear the birds singing outside. What is that bird? So I've spent half an hour listening to different bird songs online and figuring out what's what. And that's my next book. I shouldn't talk about it because then it doesn't happen, but it's <laughs> potentially about birds. And so I'm somebody who has a very screen-based lifestyle. And, you know, whilst that facilitates my business work and it facilitates my, you know, editing and writing and all of that, it doesn't help with getting my creative juices flowing it's a great tool but it's one that I can get very kind of sucked into and stuck on I'm not very good at moving between things so one of my practices in the last few weeks has been going outside and sitting and just listening to the birds and I realized that for me 
birdsong was just a thing. It was just, you know, a noise that went on outside. And I've always loved birds, but I've never been able to pick out the different things. And I thought, it's like going around and just saying, oh, there's colours there. Well, no, you, it's nice to name the colours, to know what you're surrounded by. And so for me, it's been a that, it's been a deepening my connection to something that's always there and, and making it far more alive for me. And then that's fueling my creativity. I'm, I'm painting birds, I'm drawing feathers, I'm writing about birds, but it's going back to source. It's going back to the main thing, which is outside my window calling to me saying, come out and listen. Oh my gosh, I love that. That's what a beautiful chance to drop into like the presence and oh. in the presence is oh. where the creative juices flow. I was thinking the same thing about trees lately and how I don't even know the, the names of the trees in my backyard. And I'm like, oh. something's wrong there. If I, if I can't name the trees that are there, it's like, we take those for granted, but when we kind of interact and become more present with our surrounding, that's when, you know, a whole world of like depth and richness and complexity opens up to us, which I find also fuels my creativity. So I love hearing that. Mm. Well, I, I just think it's, it's like we have this kind of, I was thinking this when I was swimming today because this is my thought for the day. <laughs> we as humans tend to like to not feel stupid, to like to feel like we're in control and that we understand, even though we don't, even though the majority of the world inside us and outside us is a total flipping mystery to us. But what we do in order to be able to function is to fill in the gaps with thinking we know. And so when we don't know something, we don't allow ourselves to not know it. And so we fill in that gap with a judgment rather than saying, that's the thing I don't know. We're just like, oh yeah, this, this is this and this is what I feel about this. And actually, when we allow ourselves to become curious in those places where normally we had judged mm. or we had inserted just a kind of like just a slot of I'm finding it hard to describe a, we tend to kind of literally put a, a a placeholder in without knowing that we're putting a placeholder in mm. so when we look outside and we see trees we say ah oh, trees when we look goes you know don't aren't familiar with another human culture we just assume things about it and that then leads to racism and all sorts of xenophobia because we make these assumptions based on a lack of knowledge a mm. lack of awareness of the particularity of things <sighs> and so learning about other people is vital learning about the natural world is vital because we can't engage with it on a one-to-one -one basis on a soul-to-soul -soul basis unless we allow ourselves to be curious and to move those placeholders aside and actually have a direct experience with whatever is there and then be able to name it to name what that thing is to recognize it oh like, oh my gosh i'm like i'm uh, you just described like I mean, I think we know intuitively, of course, being open and being curious are a great assets values to have, but you just described like why that's so vital and why that's so important because we make assumptions when we don't know something. And so that kind of, that was like a light bulb moment just as we're starting off. I'm like, okay, here we go. Thank you so much for that. Oh, wow. I'm glad because it was a light bulb moment to me too in the shower after swimming. <laughs> but it was just like, Okay, so I, I link it back to creativity through, I struggle hugely with my inner critic. What is the inner critic? It's judgments. It's, it's something in my head making judgments about what I'm doing rather than feeling safe enough to be curious about what I'm doing. Mm. So it's shutting me down saying, uh, this is wrong. It doesn't fit into this tiny placeholder that I've made in my head as to what art should be or what this picture should look like. And instead, it's, it's shutting that down. So instead, we look at this thing that we have made and we enter into relationship with it. We enter soul to soul into being curious about what this thing is that's shown up and how we can relate to it. Mm. And that changes everything. Wow, that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I love after swimming thoughts are the best. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm curious for, like, I have so many questions I wanna ask you, but you're just someone who I admire so much 
because you're just, you're, you're living it, right? It, you know, you've, you self-published nine books. I think you're about to self-publish your 10th, which is amazing. And I'm just curious to know, and maybe for listeners who don't know much about your story or your work, but like, how do you do it? Like, why do you do it? What led you down the path that you are on today? Okay, so I come from a very creative family. So three, four generations back have all been self-employed creative people Mm. in all different fields. We've got potters, glass blowers, artists, architects. I'm the first, no, my grandmother is now breathing down my neck. I'm not the first writer. She, She authored a couple of books on science, which were quite tricky to read, but she had that drive too. I'm the first of my sort of writing and yeah actors musicians like we've got the whole everybody seems to find their own place no no two kind of people do the same thing which I find really interesting because often in creative families you know you kind of you learn from your father or mother how to do a certain skill and you kind of move that forward whereas we seem to have the creative drive in our um family but then each person needs to do it in their own special way which I think is lovely because we each have our own little kind of niche so what goes with being in a creative family is having creative brains which to the outside can look really fun and great but you know actually that we're talking about neurodivergence we're talking about I'm on the autistic spectrum, as is my mother and one of my daughters. We have lots of folks who are ADHD, including myself. We have lots of dyslexia in our family. We have Down syndrome. So, you know, it swings and roundabouts. We have this incredible energy. We have brains that work kind of quite differently, but we're also all struggling with how to manage that energy, how to be in the world when we're a bit odd and we don't quite fit in, when we're the sort of people who couldn't hold down a full-time job. You know, so how do you make your way in the world? Well, you have to make up a world to be able to hold you, a world that you can fit in, in a world that you can function in, a world that makes you feel alive and makes you feel like you want to hang around here because, you know, with with neurodivergence often comes big doses of depression anxiety things that are really hard to live with as well as lots of you know physical stuff that comes along for the journey as well you know it makes life not very fun a lot of the time so Mm. I think all of us are trying to to build our own little worlds where where we belong and where we can connect with others who experience the same so for all of us creativity is part of a community building and a kind of service it's what we can bring to the world and it's how we can share what we have to give with the world Mm. so I was creative I was brought up creative then I shut it down very much in my early 20s because I had this thought that if I could just be normal then I could function. And I didn't realize I was on the spectrum. I didn't know what ADHD was. Mm. All I knew was that I wasn't normal and I wanted to be normal and I wasn't able to function. So if I just shut down the weird stuff, then I could function. Mm. Didn't really work. (laughs) So I had my first child quite young when I was 25 and that opened something in me. Suddenly this creativity that I'd been repressing came tumbling out and would not let me leave it alone. It just, it was screaming to be expressed. Mm. So that was challenging because, you know, suddenly I was needing to be creative and I had a baby, (laughs) which, you know, doesn't tend to leave much time for creativity. So my reclaiming my creativity has gone hand in hand with me finding myself as a mother. I'm now a mother of three children. My first is just about to turn 16. So yeah, this journey has been one of like an urgent, a desperate reclaiming of self, of creativity, of expression, and unsilencing of all that I felt that I had to silence in order to live. Mm. Suddenly I found that that needed to be expressed in order for me to be able to live. Mm. So it's been crazy, but it's been the only way I can stay alive. So I wouldn't 
I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. <laughs> yes, it's the only way I can live. <laughs> mm. So I, I started, I was writing, you know, kind of blog posts, articles, then started editing for a natural parenting magazine. It was based in the UK. I'm here in Ireland, but I was able to do it online. That led to me getting a column there, which led to me deciding to move up to the next level of writing, which is a book. So I decided to write about this creative urge that came hand in hand with motherhood because I hadn't seen about it written anywhere else and for me it was vital because I could see lots of my friends were struggling in the same way like they had to create mm. but this this urge wasn't recognized wasn't spoken about and so it was very hard for them to claim the space and time that they needed to Mm. So I sent that off to publishers and being impatient and very anxious, I wrote another couple of books in the meantime to keep <laughs> my mind off that, <laughs> which I, I was just going to self-publish them on my blog, you know, as a little freebie, you know, sign up for my newsletter and you get an ebook. Mm. sent it out to a few friends just to have a look over and they were like, oh, Lucy, this has got to be a proper book. So I learned how to self-publish that whilst getting the publisher proper publisher that I've always wanted for my big book the rainbow way and so I went through the publishing process and I found it really disappointing frustrating didn't make very much money from a book that sold very well whereas the self-published book sold in the same numbers with just me behind it and yet I was making six seven times more money on that so I was like I think I know what I'm doing <laughs> wow so I carried on self-publishing I had no like I'm I'm a book person I've always loved books I studied English literature at university and I know a lot about kind of researching publishers and there's very few people out there that do the sort of things will publish the sort of things that I write mm. so I was like well I'm going to make a space for myself and I'm going to use those skills that I've learned in magazine editing and in proofreading and editing that I was doing freelance and in what I've learned about in through my self-publishing and I'm gonna share that skill and get other exciting new voices that aren't being published and I'm gonna help them <laughs> so that's what I did that's Womancraft Publishing uh, it was it was started as a place that I could have my books out and have creative freedom and financial freedom and that I could offer that to other women so that's what we've been doing for just coming up to eight years now and uh, yeah it's thank you for sharing all of that it's so <laughs> incredible to hear about your journey and just even in the you know your experience with traditional publishing versus self-publishing and I think you know a lot of creatives can get stuck on this idea of like what it what they think means to be a successful creative or a successful artist. And so we have these kind of ideas about what that might be or what might that, what, what might that look like? But I love like you, you kind of finding that in your own journey and then really owning it and like creating the space where there was none. And that's really what a true creative leader does, you know, really trailblazing that path. And so it, it's just so beautiful to hear that. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious, like, what does the process look like of you writing your books? Like, where does the idea come from? Is there a lot of research involved? What's the kind of like daily writing practice of it? I'm just curious how that kind of all comes together. Okay. I'm going to tell you the honest answer rather than <laughs> the answer that all writers get. Okay? Yes. We love the honest. Okay. The honest answer is it is chaotic and messy and bridging verging on the the edge of insanity really <laughs> okay so what it looks like is this I have authored 10 books as well as several editions of certain books as well as contributing to other books as well as editing four other people's books a year I'm currently okay this is where the insanity comes in I'm currently working on 11 of my own books Oh my gosh. Okay. I have three children. I'm working on 11 books. This is what the insanity is. So what a book looks like when it's emerging is this. You're having a conversation with somebody and an idea pops into your head 
and you go, that's a really interesting idea. I haven't heard anyone mention that before. Or I wonder if there's a book on that. And you go to Amazon and you put in the sort of subject you're looking at. And you're like, hang on, there's no book on that. And you think about this a bit more. And this, this little phrase or this word or the idea kind of goes around your head again and again. And so you write it down. And you kind of in the middle, you know, it might just be like, for example, burning woman came to me like, it's going to be burning woman. Okay, so the theory with that was all about this idea of hang on a second. We women talk about our power in terms of fire. We use these metaphors all the time of fire to talk about our power. But the way that women were controlled and destroyed for centuries was through burning them. So what is this? thing that we use this term in terms of our internal fire and yet what we're terrified of is the external fire what is that so mm. that becomes the question which I then live into so once that awareness that degree of inquiry and curiosity is triggered once it is something that is that fascinating to me that it's a rabbit hole I want to dive into because it's a question I've never seen raised or answered. Then all of my resources go into that. I, you know, I will be online reading every article I can. I will be buying every book I can off Amazon. I will be looking in my own life for when I'm using that language, when I'm using the language of burning or fire. And every time I do, I will be writing that down I will catch myself and I will start writing from there unpacking that and whilst I am journeying that material on those levels I'm also journeying it in my dreams mm. so I will be noting down those dreams I will also be journeying it through images I work a lot with uh, a process I call word and image which is the combining of moving from word to image image to word backwards and forwards and so I make a lot of visual art. So I will be exploring these ideas through images. Then I'll be reflecting back on what came up for me whilst I was making those images. So all of this is happening on many levels. So the intellectual research level, the deep kind of unconscious coming up dream level, I'm looking for how the unconscious then comes out in, in my daily life. You know, what little, Kind of symbols am I suddenly noticing what things happen what what synchronicities occur so I become like a detective basically in my own life and out in the world finding everything I can like a magpie finding everything I can which to me is connected to this and bringing it back to my nest mm. then like that's the nice part <laughs> <laughs> The gathering phase. Then you've got to organize all of that. <laughs> then you've got to find a way to structure all of that information in a way that is engaging, in a way that is interesting, in a way that is accessible. So then you are having to have this illusory conversation with this unknown reader who is always there in your presence as you are sorting out this material, as you are deciding how to structure it, what they need to know first, what they need explaining better. And I, I have this sense when once it's kind of down, I'm then moving it around, seeing where the gaps are, seeing what needs to go in. And I'm still journeying it the whole time. So there's still more stuff coming at me that needs to be woven in as I'm going. And then as you're editing and editing and like, you know, people, my dear father <laughs> writes books too, and he's come to it very late in life. And he has this belief that you sit down, write a book from beginning to end, and then you never have to look at it again. For me, each of my books, you know, I have read through the material 50, 60 times. Like you get so <laughs> fed up with reading it in one level, but it's like squeezing a tube of toothpaste to me. You're kind of squeezing it and it's all going through and you can kind of, it's flowing, you understand, it's clear. And then suddenly you hit this bit where there's no toothpaste coming out. And you're like, hmm, what's happened there? So you have to back up 
and then keep on going. So it's a very energetic process that I use, which I kind of use another sense inside myself to see where the flow is and where where it stopped. It's not something I've ever learned from anybody. It's not something I've ever seen written about. So I've written a book about it. <laughs> but it's it's that. It's it's a very intuitive process at that stage. Mm. And then you know, then there's just the practical things of fact checking, edit, you know, end notes, footnotes, proofreading, all of that. But you know, the main bit for me is first in living the material and researching it, and then in structuring it, in finding the flow with the material that connects to your reader. Mm. Does that answer the question? That was a lot Abs of work. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I think, thank you for sharing that, because I that's so helpful for me to hear as a creative and like, just when others share their process, because it is such an intuitive process, you know, and, and different and specific to each person, but kind of hearing how others do it is always so helpful. And, and the question that comes up for me, cause I think this is something that I deal with personally is like how to know when to stick with an idea. I think it takes a lot of really like focus and maybe boundaries to not let like other distractions come in. I find for myself and my own work, like you know, I'll have a brilliant idea and then I'll research it and get really excited about it, but then let it go and like not touch it after, you know, not touch it again. And because I'm not so excited about it anymore, it's like, I don't have that kind of discipline to kind of stick with it and see it through. And so have you experienced that in your own creative life and work? And how do you deal with that? Not really. Hmm. What I tend to do is have too many projects and not enough energy. And so I have to cull or let die, which is usually I kind of like, you know, so I've got 10 books out. I've got 11 that I'm working on. I've got another 10, 12 that are there, which have basically withered away because there isn't enough of me to be able to, wow. to do them. So for me, it's kind of the opposite, but I know I'm kind of odd in that. Yeah, no, there just, there genuinely isn't enough of me to give to all of the things that I want to do. And so I have to really figure out where my energy is going to go. Now, you sound like me in that you have a big starting energy. Yeah. Some people can procrastinate and procrastinate and never do any of the beginning bit because it scares them so much. So you've got the starting energy, but then the middle bit energy is, is a different thing. Totally. It feels different. It's like in relationships. There's the falling in love bit, which terrifies some people and other people love. Mm -hmm. And then there's the living with somebody every day. And, you know, it's kind of different. You know, it's not worse, but it's different. It's not the intensity of the, the beginning. And so you have to pace yourself differently. You have to think about when actually you're having a bit of a crappy day and you kind of can't really stand the sight of that person you've got to think of the bigger picture of you know what it's lovely to have somebody else's company rather than living alone and mm. actually you know today is a crappy day but I'm delighted that if I'm sick or you know when you know when I need help with the kids there's somebody here so that's a good thing so you do the same with your creative work it's like yeah this is this is hard work it's a drudge and it's not hugely fun but I can't wait to share this book. I can't wait to see what it looks like. I can't wait to move on to the next project. And to do that, I've got to do this first. Mm. So it's it's that. It's a kind of a, it's giving yourself a little bit of a kind of a chance to readjust mm. and always keeping in mind the bigger picture, the end goal. What I find helpful, and it can backfire, but what I find helpful is to tell some people about mm. the project because then you can't wriggle out of it so at the end of burning woman for the first time i announced the next book medicine woman i wished i hadn't done that because <laughs> like life took a very very tough turn and mm. this book that was going to be kind of you know slightly more intellectual instead i had to live the process of illness and healing with every member of our family, multiple diagnoses, life crashing down around our ears. And I announced that I was going to write this book. So I had to write the book or I had to change the end of, of Burning Woman in retrospect. So, you know, that's one way to keep your toes on the fire is, you know, 
make yourself accountable because people will be saying when's that coming out and you say soon (laughs) (laughs) wow so interesting thank you for that tip too and I'm like I'm curious you know when I love the way that you describe that that middle bit of and comparing it to a relationship because I think there's so many different like life processes that totally mirror the creative Mm -hmm. process and just the journeys of life and the same thing with the creative journey so I love that comparison and I'm curious like when when you do face that dread or that resistance of working on a project like you know that feeling of when you know you have to do something but you're procrastinating what for you helps move through that resistance is it just sitting down and doing it or what are kind of the conversations or things you have to have with yourself Mm. this is something I discuss a lot in creatrix which is all about women who create because that is an issue that most creatives come to at some point which is is it better to back off when I'm feeling resistance or is it better to push through and the honest answer is sometimes one and sometimes the other (laughs) but um something I will say is that as humans especially as women we are taught to push through we're taught to force ourselves and creativity runs on flow flow cannot be forced so Whilst there are times when your fear arises, like, for example, you know, you've got your launch, you've got the opening of your exhibition, fear will arise and you would prefer to go back to bed and pull the covers over your head rather than to walk into that room and to face everybody. At times like that, you do actually need to push through and give yourself a little force out out of your comfort zone and into this new space. So there are times when that is necessary. But... But getting into the habit of forcing ourselves, that's something we have learnt in our culture, in the patriarchal culture, that we mustn't trust our feelings, that we mustn't trust our intuition, and it doesn't matter what you feel, you know, no pain, no gain, push through. No, that damages us, that damages our souls, it damages our mental health, it damages our physical bodies. So Mm. it's not a good habit to be in it's a it's an important skill to have at times but it's not how we should function the whole time so what I tend to do when I'm feeling that is to back off and to do something that fills me up so I will pull down some books I've got some beautiful uh, books of other people's art of symbols I'll pull down something completely non-related to what I'm working on and just what I do I I call it creative bathing just allow myself to immerse myself in it like you would in a bubble bath and just rest into and soak up the goodness of that or you know take yourself to a gallery take yourself out for a walk get out your paints and do something entirely unrelated to what you're working on and that you are guaranteed to turn around your resistance far faster that way than by pushing through and you'll be in a better frame of mind and you'll be feeling better about yourself Mm. plus the magic that normally happens when you do that is that you'll discover that you've been trying to force something with your mind you've been trying to force it to be the way that you wanted it to be that you thought it should be not the way that the creative project is needing to unfold so Mm. you're trying to push it in one direction it's wanting to go to another and so you've reached the stasis you've reached this point of not being able to push it uphill anymore because it's not wanting to go in that direction it's not supposed to be so in backing off you allow the flow to keep moving you're allowing yourself to be connected to flow in general not to do with this project and then you'll see ah hang on a second and then you can change course and follow the flow of it because you're in connection to the flow the mystery the source of all creativity Mm. rather than just banging your head against this project Uh, I love that and the term creative bathing is so (laughs) I just love that so much and that that brings me to another thought of like you know what you said about letting it unfold how it's meant to and also what we were talking about earlier about like kind of sticking to your end goal of the vision of the project and so I'm curious how it works for you like whether you have this like very specific vision of what the book is and like how do you stick to that end goal while also leaving room for like allowing it to 
be what it wants to and kind of shifting and moving direction? That's a really good question. And it's a really well done for picking up those two things. Okay, so for me, I believe that each project has its own soul, has its own life force. It's like each of our children. They, they come in as themselves. You know, the stupid parent will try their hardest to force a child to be as they think they should be. The reality is that each child comes in with their own personality, their own strengths, their own weaknesses, and has their own life ahead of them. I believe that is true too for our creative projects, our creative babies. So I believe that our job as creatives is to listen to the idea that's coming through and to, to be as respectful and dedicated to it as we can in allowing it to be as it needs to be in the world. Mm. We are offering it our voices, our abilities to come into material form but we need to respect what it is so therefore when I'm talking about holding the bigger picture for me that is I've said that a book will come out but what that book is precisely that's up to the soul of that book and how well I can connect with that mm. and how open I am to doing the work that needs to happen to make that happen I cannot set the parameters for what that is the book sets those parameters the soul of the work sets those parameters and I'm always listening to it and I'm always following its lead so when I'm telling you about squeezing through the tube of toothpaste following the flow that's because I'm not structuring it the way I think it should be structured I'm structuring it the way that the work is already structured it's just that I'm having to intuit it using these strange inner skills that I have, which are pretty rusty because it's not the way the world works. And I'm having to then translate it into a way that the world works and that people understand and our normal forms of communication and language and images and books. So it's basically as a creative, I am a, a channel or a translator. I'm not... I'm not in charge of the process, mm. but I am in charge of making sure that the product at the end is loyal to what the soul of the creative work should be. Mm. Yeah. Again, beautiful, because I love that idea of being the creative channel and it's not like us, you know, making it work. It's more of us being open and available to how it wants to be arranged. And I we have to apply like our job as, as artists, is to hone our skills to make it the best it can be. So we have to keep our hand in, in terms of reading and knowing, you know, knowing what styles are and what's available to us out there in honing our skills, in increasing the amounts of media we might be able to use in, you know, using the tools that we have and the, the and making sure that we are, our, our craftsmanship is good. You know, because if it's messy and shoddy, if if we use a style that isn't aligned to the soul of the work, then it won't reach people. So it won't have done its job. Mm. So we have a responsibility. It's not just like we can just kind of sit there and it'll all flow through us. Like there, there is a lot of human work that we are responsible for. Yeah, when you say like inner skills, both inner and outer skills, what do you mean by that? Okay, so when I hear a voice inside my head that tells me the title of a book, mm. when the ideas for a paragraph are coming flowing through my brain, that's an inner skill because no, you could hook me up to any brain reading thing. That you know, you'd see a light firing, but you wouldn't see the words burning woman like going across my head. Mm. So I have to be able to sense internally and receive this information. I'm not interested in where that information comes from to a large extent. Some people like to kind of give names to, you know, the sources of where they, to me, it doesn't matter. It could be my unconscious. It could be, you know, whatever. But I still have to be able to 
decode this information and turn it into something on a page in front of me. So that's the inner work. It's the unseen and unseeable thing of having an idea, hearing voices, seeing images, seeing symbols, putting images and symbols together. It all happens internally. Mm. No one sees that. No one knows that it's happening inside until you either say it, write it, paint it. Nobody knows. It's completely mm. invisible work. So that's the inner work, whereas the outer work is, you know, is tuning your violin before you start playing. It's practicing your scales before you start playing. It's you know, making sure that all your paints are set up, that you have a clean jar of water, that you've got a good brushes and you know how to use different brushes. So that's your outer skills. Mm. But yeah, bringing the unseen into the scene and like bringing the thought and the, the thought into form and expression. And so I'm, I'm curious, like, do you have a daily creative practice? Like what would you kind of determine as that daily creative practice? And what does that look like? Okay, so sorry, this is the second part of the question that you asked earlier, which I said, do you want the real answer to? The real answer is I don't have that. The real answer is that it looks different every day. But what I do do is that I have made a deal with my creative urge that any time it emerges, I will honor it. Mm. So it doesn't matter if I wake up at 3 a.m., I turn on the light and I write down the dream or the thought that is insistently knocking on my brain you know I lots of stuff goes through my brain as you can probably hear <laughs> quite you know lots of stuff at the same time but there is something about the creative urge that for me it kind of like turns up its volume and it repeats itself again and again like a thought on loop where that's when I know that has that's looking for my attention it's often not related to anything I'm seeing around me you know it's just suddenly it's there and it needs me to note it down. Mm. So I have made a deal that I will do that. So my dear children, we can be driving along in a car and I'm like, right, grab whatever piece of paper you can, start writing. And I will be dictating to them as I'm driving along because this thing is insisting it needs to be written down now. So a lot of my books get you know, written on backs of envelopes and in journals and you know shopping lists and you know because a lot of people I think put this this emphasis on creative practice as something you do for an hour a day in the morning and you have to show up and for me that's force mm. for some people creating space creating time and showing up there that is the most important thing for them to kind of to to ring fence that time so they can show up and whatever emerges emerges. I now have a life where, because I'm self-employed, I have a, a large amount of freedom in my day. So rather than forcing that, what I do is, is to honor the creative urge when it needs to come up. And there will be seasons in my life when I spend weeks painting and then I might not paint again for a year. There will be times when I am writing a book and it's coming through fast and my husband knows the crazy look in my eyes. And you know, I will do hours and hours of writing, but then I might not write again for six weeks. Mm. So for me, it is, it is about honoring when it shows up. Whereas a lot of people when they're starting out they haven't made that deal to honor the creative urge. And so they will just kind of discount it or discard the ideas that are coming to them all the time, mm. I would probably say, but they're not honoring those. And then there's times when I'm really just feeling crappy and, and whatever, and I make myself, you know, go and get my paints out. And it's really hard for a long time, but I know that it will make me feel better in the long run. So mm. there are times when I do it, you know, and I don't like anything I produce and I, you know, but I know it will be worth it in the end, but that's different to trying to create a product to sell or doing it because, you know, because the artist's way says I need to write three pages every day. No, it's because I know that my soul is currently kind of shriveled up inside and it needs some color. And so I just need to give it some color so that it, it feels better. And then I'm back in flow again. Mm. Yeah, that's so helpful to hear. And I, I think it makes me think of this like idea of trust and really learning to trust our creative urges. Because I think 
I certainly get into this trap sometimes. And I think other creatives do too, of like, you know, if you don't like, if you don't show up that, then you might lose it. Or if you don't, you know, write for six weeks, then you might lose it. But it's like really just trusting that like there are seasons of it and that it will Mm -hmm. come and go. And that when you make that deal to honor it as it comes, that that's when you're like, really creating this beautiful relationship with it and this giving and receiving. So yeah. The other thing I will say though is this is partly to do with my personality. I'm demand avoidance. So if I have a demand on me, I will do everything I can to avoid it because I feel anxious about it. So, you know, me setting up times when I have to create is the same as me time setting up times that I have to have sex. I ain't going to want sex if you tell me, right, you know, this morning, let's go. Whereas, you know, if we allow that to emerge from the relationship we have and it it unfolds in this moment then yeah I'm yours but you know it's that kind of thing whereas some people do need discipline and structure and routine and that's how their brains function best Mm -hmm. so you know I I I need to acknowledge that too that I'm not saying that what I do is right I'm saying I do what works for me and I have learned that that is not what most creative teachers say you should do yeah, yeah, that's a really good distinction to, and, and that's so much about what creativity is too, about really discovering like how you best work and mm-hmm. setting up those things that will then allow you to do your best work. That's really what it's about. And if you're comfortable sharing, um, curious if you want to talk about She of the Sea, because I know it's oh. coming out soon and would love to just hear a little bit about that book and, and what we can get excited for. This is scary. I haven't actually talked about it yet. <laughs> you don't have to. <laughs> no, like I should, because it's my next book and it's coming out. Um, okay. She of the Sea is an exploration of the call of the sea. What it is that enchants us, that calls us to the sea the water but not just the sea and the water but also like the shore the shoreline shells pebbles what is it that a huge amount of people find really magnetic and healing about the sea the shoreline what is that so that was my kind of guiding question so there's many I I approach it from many different ways you know there's the biological kind of the evolutionary there's the spiritual there's the kind of the soul level I kind of I've, I I approach it many different ways from many different perspectives, and I've invited I think in the end there's thirty other women to bring their reflections of what the sea means to them because like fire, you know, Burning Woman was about fire. Water is associated with the feminine usually. You know, she of the sea it has its name from you know the 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 ocean is is often referred to as she boats are referred to as she the amount of sea goddesses that are goddesses that are connected to the sea women were you know if you think about mermaids selkies these are all female figures that combine they're 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 women who are connected to magic and who are in some ways not trusted so what is this connection between a woman who is connected to her soul and her spirit and the water and why don't we trust that so it's an exploration of the oceanic in terms of Freud used this term to talk about our spirituality this this vast something that we feel connected to so it's a it's an exploration of what this is and it's big it, like it's it's so hard to describe it because oh like it it touches on mermaid selkie seaweed pebbles suicide attempts water birth poetry god magic environmentalism like it is it covers so much ground and yet somehow it's all connected oh i'm really proud of it it is i think my best book yet I've done a lot of nature writing for it which I loved I wrote a lot about the place that I live which is very special to me and yet kind of scary because you know my work is is a little weird and I live in a pretty kind of conservative place so it's it's putting me more on the local map which is very very flippant terrifying for me because my readership is much more international and it's very personal you know it's it's about shape-shifting and and understanding 
understanding our our soul's calling as women and how the sea integrates with that how we find our magic how we heal wow i'm so you don't know how excited i am for this because <laughs> i have been connected to mermaids for forever and like that's just a huge part of who i am and so just Aww. you having you know you bringing this creative vision forward and in your special way is like, it's going to be like soul medicine for me. I can already tell. I um, hope so. And it's got two real life mermaids in it. Two women who, who mermaid for a living for their soul calling are, yeah, they are in the book too, sharing their experience and their voices. So that's exciting. <laughs> yeah. And, and I also, I love that you actually bring a lot of other women's voices into your books. I think that like community aspect of your work is so interesting. I love like even in Creatrix, you had many different accounts from other women. Mm -hmm. And so kind of getting those other voices, is that some like a deliberate choice that you make or is it kind of? Um... Absolutely. I think it's vital because, you know, my experience is just one experience. You know, mm -hmm. I really value lived experience. I really value, you know, women's lived experience in our culture tends to be silenced, ignored or denied. And so I give it primacy of place in my books, but I am just one voice. I'm a white, middle-class, married woman. I'm just one person. I'm neurodivergent. So, you know, I'm in the minority in that. So what I want is to have a variety of voices of people who have the same sort of callings and experiences but from their own perspectives, you know, how does it differ and how is it similar is always my kind of curiosity. So I, I love having other women's voices in and it's scary. It's scary to kind of invite that in because you don't know what's going to kind of emerge when you give out the invitation. So what I do is I write the book, I put out the invitation and then the pieces come to me when the book is nearly finished and then get woven into it so mm -hmm. what is really interesting is to see the themes emerging they haven't read my book i haven't read their pieces what i've done is written them a letter explaining some of the themes of the book explaining you know i need 400 words from lived experience and that's what i love is the synchronicity of the themes that come together the experiences it's like this is something real this is absolutely a real experience that hasn't been validated because nobody's ever asked these women. A lot of the time, this is the first time these women have told these bits of their stories. And to have all of those stories standing together in testimony to lived experiences, like, hang on, our experience as humans, our experience as souls, our experience as women has only been written in a very partial way. And what my books hope to do is to give voice to a little bit more. I mean, I'm always aware that there can be more and more diversity. There could be more and more voices in my book, but a book has to be by its very limitations, you know, a certain number of pages. Mm. But it's how can we give voice to that which has been silenced or that which has been denied? Because in the end, that's all, the, that's all art creativity is trying to do. It's the soul trying to give voice to its longings the mm. soul trying to be seen mm. and our human culture on the whole is very good at keeping that tamped down and controlling the the limitations within which humans identify themselves and each other understand themselves and each other so we get given the language for who we are and how we think and what we feel and that tends to be very small and limited whereas actually who we are and what we feel tends to be much broader and a lot of it is unspoken and people come alive when they are able to express those unspoken bits now as a culture obviously you don't want lots of people alive because you know you can't control what's going to happen so mm. you know to be a somebody who is creatively expressing themselves is always dangerous in a culture, is always scary because you are threatening the very foundations of control on which the culture is built. So I've got this book coming out and I'm absolutely shitting myself because I'm giving voice to what I've never been able to speak before. So here we go, doing it again. <laughs> wow, such a beautiful example of like how 
the creative life is lived in real time. And, and I, and I love that piece about like giving voice to the voiceless, having these different perspectives and yeah, just, just the way that that all comes together is so you're doing it. I'm like, this is how, this is what it is. And this is how it, it should be in a way. And, and it's messy and it's scary and totally, there are no rules and everyone on the outside you know who isn't too sure about you will tell you that you're breaking all the rules and you're doing it wrong and you're, you know you are messy and therefore you're not to be listened to because this and that you know it's it's not a comfortable way to live but in my opinion it's the only way to live yeah coming it comes back to that kind of like what you said in the beginning of our conversation of like this life or death that this you know mm. it it's not just like yeah this this mundane this whatever it's like no the stakes are so high this mm -hmm. is the only way to live and so mm -hmm. I think that's what makes the work so relevant and so personal and so revolutionary I mean yeah all of those things um and one of the things I love talking about on this podcast is sharing creative resources with others and so whether that's books or things that you're really inspired by or things that you always go back to, what are kind of the, the things that you want to share with us? Ooh, okay. So I'm gonna share with you my bird song app first. It's called oh, BirdNet. Yes. BirdNet, okay. Yeah, it's an app which is free and you can get it on, on all platforms. And it is by Cornell University. And so you basically point your mobile phone at the bird that's singing. You can see its little song coming up on the screen as a like a, you know, a visual image. And then you press analyze and it tells you what the bird is. Like, oh. if that isn't magic, I don't know what is. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I love that. So, and there's one for plants too, so you can, point your camera at, at the trees in your garden and find that out. So that's something I'm loving at the moment. I mean, I'm, I, I love books, always have done. So like my life is surrounded with books. I have books for every sort of mood and every sort of desire so that it doesn't matter where my brain is at, there's something for me to dive into for the creative bathing. And then in terms of what else is exciting me, I've discovered liquid watercolours recently, which are, so this is something I write about in She of the Sea, that I inherited my granddad's watercolour paint box. And it had all the kind of the, you know, the boring kind of landscapey colours in it. And it, I always felt like watercolour was a bit boring. And I love vibrant colours. So what I've discovered is liquid watercolors are very vibrant in colors. So they're almost like inks at their most vibrant, but then you can water them down and they're, they're like watercolor too. So, so them, <laughs> I use lots of them at the moment and alcohol inks as well, again, mm. for something really vibrant. Oh. So, you know, for me, I need, I need words around me. I need color around me. And whenever I have, a little bit of extra money from something that's done well say a book launch or something I invest it into some art by other female artists so that mm -hmm. I have more women artists work in my house and I'm supporting women artists so I oh, do that I love that so much thank you Lucy and then where can people find you if we want to pre-order or order she of the sea what's the best way to connect with you so my website is lucyhpierce.com and you'll find my blog, you know, more about me, about my books, about my art and work, other podcast interviews and stuff there. Womancraftpublishing.com is where all of our books are and you will be able to pre-order She of the Sea from there until the 9th of July. And then after that, it will be available everywhere, Amazon, all the other places from the 30th of July. So pre-orders are something that we always offer. They're a way of us being able to make a fair price at a new book. People get a signed copy, they get an exclusive bookmark, and then there's always little offerings that go with it that are exclusive to that. So this is membership of the, the She of the Sea Facebook group as a playlist that goes alongside the book, and some people will get signed images and one person will get uh, one of my watercolors so 
Oh my gosh, so exciting. Okay, we'll definitely put all of those links in the show notes. And just thank you again. I'm like feeling so rejuvenated and inspired after speaking with you and just admire you and your work so much. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed that episode and thank you so much for listening. If you liked this episode, please feel free to share it with a friend and tell them what inspired you. Or if you'd be so kind, you can rate and review the podcast. And when you do, I would love to gift you my free guided writing meditation that will connect you to your creativity, yourself, and your spirituality. Just go on over to my Instagram at Leah Van Doren. That's L-E-Y-A-V-A-N-D-O-R-E-N and send me a screenshot of your review and I will send over the meditation and I would love to hear your thoughts. Stay inspired, stay creative, and keep sharing shining your creative soul.